I'm going to be reading from Matthew 5, 21 through 37. <coughs> you have heard that it was said to those in ancient times, you shall murder, you shall not murder. <laughs> I'm going to start again. I'm reading from such small print here. Let's... Okay. You have heard that it was said to those in ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be recognized, reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid every last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. We are so blessed to have uh, Kevin Nye join us this morning to, uh, to give us the word. And after Fran reading that lectionary passage, I, this, you know exactly why I invited someone to come uh, preach during this week. So uh, Kevin Nye is a graduate of uh, Fuller Seminary. He got his MDiv there where I went to school. And uh, we're just incredibly grateful to have him here. So uh, welcome, Kevin Nye.
the title of my sermon this morning is You Shall Murder. <laughs> so thank you for reading that. Uh, just kidding. Uh, it's great to be here with you this morning uh, and to have an opportunity to preach the gospel to you today. Uh, I don't currently serve in a preaching ministry, and so at times like this when the world kind of seems like it's going crazy, um, it's a really high honor and a high responsibility to get to open up, especially the Sermon on the Mount this morning. So thank you for this opportunity. Uh, to be fair, as you alluded to, um, if I had the option of choosing which part of the Sermon on the Mount to preach this morning, I might have gone in a different direction. Um, it's just my luck that the passage this morning from the lectionary is 16 verses long, and it's kind of a bombshell. <laughs> Uh, we've got murder, you've got adultery, divorce, cutting out your eyes, swearing by your head. Uh, and as a guest preacher, uh, I can confirm what Ryan was alluding to a little bit, that sometimes you get brought into churches to preach difficult texts. I don't think that was intentional this morning, but I think a couple of the other times I did it, it might have been. Uh, but this text is a long one, and it's a challenging one. Uh, and if I'm being honest, I'm probably not going to be able to cover all of it today. But after spending a lot of time with it, preparing uh, these last couple weeks, and after spending a lot of time kind of taking in what's going on in the world, I hope this morning to offer a perspective on this teaching of Jesus that challenges us to do right by that world that God loves and to imagine new ways to seek out God's vision for that world and for righteousness and justice in it. My belief is that this difficult text isn't some fierce declaration of newer, harsher standards of judgment, but a reframing of old concepts for what it means to do right and to be righteous. Now, before we get really into this, I have to kind of come out and say that there's a problematic way that this text is often interpreted uh, when we're dealing with these ideas of outward acts versus our inner thoughts and desires, uh, you can sometimes hear it interpreted in a way that makes it seem like Jesus isn't very concerned with what's going on on the outside. So I've seen this uh, on Facebook and I've heard it in conversations when a Christian is standing up for uh, some sort of injustice that they see going on in the world, they may say that we as Christians need to stand up uh, against racism or against uh, poverty. And inevitably, someone else who is a Christian who uh, does so with great intentions and with a really good heart will say, well, we don't need to do that. We don't have a racism problem or a poverty problem. We have a sin problem. And what we really need is Jesus. Now, you won't hear me say this morning that we don't need more Jesus. <laughs> I very much believe that we need more Jesus. And I think if we had more Jesus, we might have a lot less racism and a lot less greed, a lot less sexism, a lot less consumerism. And if we suppose ourselves to be the hands and feet of Jesus, then we might find ourselves also standing up against those things. And when Jesus says in this passage, do not you've heard it said, do not murder, I tell you, don't hate. He's not saying that the murdering part is okay, right? <laughs> Jesus is just going a little deeper. 
And that doesn't mean that he's not concerned with the rest of it. So please don't be deceived this morning into thinking that Jesus is so small that he's only concerned with what's going on inside of our hearts. But I think this passage also calls us to not be deceived that the only morality to be concerned about is out there and not in here. Because when Jesus says, do not even hate, he calls us to evaluate not only the outward actions of evil, but to take a look inside of ourselves and see the origins of it in our own hearts. And isn't that pretty refreshing with all of the politicizing and posturing that we've seen? You can almost imagine Jesus stepping into that and being like, okay, but what's really going on here beneath the surface? Jesus has this almost superpower in the Gospels where the text will say Jesus knew what was in their hearts. And uh, I don't know about you, but I think we could have used a little bit of that in 2016. Um, at the same time, though, let's not completely pass the buck. Because unfortunately, that moment where we say, uh, I bet Jesus knows what's going on inside your heart. We forget that Jesus also knows what's going on inside of ours. And that's where we can get a little nervous. Uh, a friend of mine wrote this week, he said it really well. He said, when we see the wrong in someone else, we demand justice. When we see the wrong in ourselves, we demand mercy. And the point with uh, saying that is that obviously we should extend mercy to others the same way that we ask it for ourselves. Uh, but this morning, I also want us to imagine that the opposite is also true. That if we are going to demand justice of others, then we ought to demand that justice of ourselves and of our own hearts. And I think in this text, when Jesus is asking us to go deeper, he's kind of calling us to self-awareness, to self-evaluation, beyond what we do on the outside, thinking about our motivations, our thoughts, our preconceived notions, our unconscious bias, and to ask ourselves if these are congruent with who we say that we are, and more importantly, with who Jesus is. Now, one key example of this in our world today, I think, is the way that the world and the church talks about racism. And obviously, we find ourselves in February, which is Black History Month, and uh, I don't know about you, but I think that 2017 uh, is a good time and that the church is a good place to be honest about that and to talk about those things. And I'm sure I don't have to convince any of you that racism still exists and that that conversation is as important as it's ever been. And so this month, while I don't consider myself an expert on race, I have tried to make an effort to learn and to listen. And what I've been learning and listening to reminds me a lot of what we see in this passage, this idea of the difference between outward and inward evil. And while most Americans may not actively or intentionally participate in systems of oppression, sociologists have shown that even as young as children have preconceived notions and biases when it comes to race. And these do survive into our adulthood, whether we like it or not. And I know this is true because I experience it in my own heart. That against my better judgment, against my better uh, understanding these notions and these prejudices come up. And it's always important, as we've done throughout history, to try to topple these systems of oppression 
But it's also important to not forget that one of the biggest battlegrounds against racism is within our own hearts. And that is one of the places that it has yet to be won. And that's even true within the church. Jesus holds us accountable, not just for what we do on the outside, but also what's going on on the inside. And I think that when Jesus says, do not hate, do not lust, he understands that these things come up within us against our better judgment, that we don't always choose to have these thoughts and these feelings. But nonetheless, he calls on us to demand justice in those moments, to respond in those moments to to kill those desires, to kill those thoughts in ourselves. It's a call to self-awareness, to self-betterment at this deep internal level. Just as the song said this morning, you call us deeper still into love. And now as much as that sounds like extra judgment, like a harsh word, uh, I actually see it as a call to re-understand righteousness. I really don't think that Jesus is taking this list of things not to do, such as do not murder, do not commit adultery, and adding more to it, don't hate, don't lust. I think the point is that Jesus is calling into question the purpose behind these lists and to help us understand what righteousness might look like in any context. Jesus invites us to go beyond the list of things not to do and teaching us what it means to actually do good rather than not doing evil. So I grew up in a holiness denomination called the Church of the Nazarene. Some of you may have heard of it or of the holiness tradition. Um, That's where I'm licensed. And at its best, holiness traditions call us to self-betterment constantly. Uh, We like to use this uh, old quote that says, you look at Jesus, and then you look at yourself and you confess the difference. And that's the holiness tradition at its best. But at its worst, the holiness tradition can be very heavy on the rules and the thou shalt nots. Uh, My denomination throughout the history has had rules against going to movies, against dancing, against public swimming, all sorts of things. And to be honest, some of them are still on the books. And I don't think that's necessarily only true of holiness denominations, though, that sometimes Christians can come to be known more for what they don't do, who they don't welcome, than for what they do actually do or believe in. And that's not far from what we experience in this passage. You can almost hear Jesus a little sarcasm in his voice when people come and say, I'm a good person because I don't murder people. as if Jesus is going to throw a parade for the holiness of all the people who don't commit murder. And I think that Jesus might be saying by trying to urge us to go a little deeper that maybe our standards are a little too low if we set our standards by what we don't do. Because if we define ourselves only by what we don't do, what good is that to the rest of the world? Is the Christian life about making sure we have a personal clean slate, or is it about setting God's righteousness loose on the world? In Matthew especially, Jesus has this particular mission statement where he goes around announcing that the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus isn't going around trying to make sure everyone's got their ducks in a row and that everything is straightened out. Jesus is announcing there's a new kingdom that he's here to get something new started, 
And new kingdoms are not built on inaction by not doing things. So participating in this new kingdom that Jesus is trying to build requires action. And action entails that we confront big issues. And now the religious leaders here, they were trying to get into the big issues, right? Murder, adultery, divorce. They made sure that they were really firm, had a really clear understanding of their position on the big issues. But I think Jesus wants to do something more than that. And I think it's not too different from what we do today, even in our best moments, trying to take a stand only on the big issues. And of course, before I point the finger, I mean myself. Uh, when we see on Facebook, there's something new almost every single minute, something to react to, something to be outraged about. And personally, I don't know about you, but I find myself sometimes refreshing my Facebook feed just so I can ask, okay, what am I upset about now? Uh, my sister recently changed her profile picture. Facebook sometimes when something happens will let you change your profile picture in some small way to show that you are in support of something. So recently uh, my sister was able to add this border to her picture that said, I stand with refugees. Unfortunately, Facebook set a timeline on that and that disappeared from her picture in about a week. <laughs> So without really meaning to, Facebook kind of communicated this message that standing with refugees is kind of only cool to do for about a week. And that's how fast these things happen. And when we react to them, we sometimes don't actually do these issues justice simply by expressing outrage because there will always be something new. I read just this week that Flint, Michigan still does not have clean drinking water. And my first reaction to that was, wasn't I outraged about that almost two years ago? Like, why didn't anything change? I saw everyone on Facebook was upset about it. And I had to start counting, okay, how many outrages ago was that? And it's plenty. <laughs> and we should be outraged about these things. Again, I don't want to communicate that, uh, that we shouldn't care about these outward forms of evil. And it's important to react when we can in meaningful ways, whether it's voting, protesting, donating. But if we're being honest, we can't properly react to everything that's happening in the world, right? At some point, we end up choosing our battles, and we all do that in different ways, whether by choosing issues that are particularly meaningful to us or by giving up altogether. So hopefully I think Jesus' message this morning can be a word of hope. When the religious leaders cry in reaction to all the biggest issues of their time, Jesus calls attention to the small things over which we actually have control. Hatred, curses, unreconciled relationships, lust. These are the small but very real things that lead to the big things. And he calls us to work at them at that level. And he makes sure also that we know that that task is really urgent, right? When Jesus says, cut out your eyes, cut off your hands, I think we can all agree to not take that literally, or else we are going to have a really awkward afternoon trying to apply this sermon to ourselves. But I think the point of that is twofold. One, that this task is really urgent. And two, that it requires being proactive. The call to deal with these internal forms of evil 
that are within ourselves is as urgent as murder. It's as urgent to Jesus as the finger on a trigger. And the need to confess and to turn away from those things in the moment we experience them is dire. It may seem innocent or unimportant at the time, you know, like when your car starts to make a funny noise and you think, you know, I'll just put that off until it actually becomes a problem. You know, I don't want to take it to the shop yet. Uh, metaphorically, I think Jesus is saying, take it into the shop. When we experience those things in our hearts, we need to take them seriously. Because as I've been learning, especially this February, this Black History Month, that when we don't deal with the sin that's internal, it can span generations and keep coming back. But you have to admit, too, cutting off your hand, cutting out your eyes, it is a proactive approach, if a little violent. And so as we look at everything that's wrong in the world and our social media feeds fill up with things to be outraged about, what if we also were able to take a step back and ask, what are those root impulses? What are the origins of that evil? Whatever injustice we see in the world, especially those ones that we choose to kind of take on and care about seriously, they don't come out of nowhere. They have roots. They have origins that begin inside of us and at the ground level. We ought to be like doctors who don't just treat symptoms, but also offer preventative care. And there are a lot of symptoms in the world to deal with, and at a lot of times it is important to just try and stop the bleeding. But through prayerful consideration, I think we might be being called through this passage to offer preventative justice care. Now, I think that, um, I'm gonna give a shout out to my wife here as she rolls her eyes. Uh, my wife is a teacher, and my wife and I both uh, deeply care about social justice, and I think it's easy at first glance to not see teaching as social justice, but if you look at it through this lens of preventative care, teaching our children when they are being molded and shaped, when their prejudices are being formed, when they're learning how to treat one another, Teaching is the front lines of social justice. But the message is not for us to all become teachers <laughs> or social workers. I think that we all have an opportunity to do this. I think that in every moment, in every thought and deed, big or small, we have the opportunity in ways that seem very small to contribute proactively to God's kingdom. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as usual, says it best. We are not to simply bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. I've come to believe that every thought, word, and deed, or act that is done in love is an act of proactive justice. It's justice that goes into the world, establishing God's kingdom and driving out the old one. Because if we take Jesus at his word that every hatred, every curse, every look of lust contributes to the harsh injustice, it leads to murder, it leads to adultery, then the opposite is also true. When a kind word is spoken, when a relationship is reconciled, when the dignity of another person is upheld, 
the kingdom of injustice is dealt a blow and it's denied a foothold in our lives and in the lives of people around us in ways that we may never actually see come to fruition. So as I conclude this morning, I want to offer a prayer of benediction. May we be people who address the wrongs in this world, not only by calling for justice in others, but by seeking justice within our own hearts. May we be people who not only react when things go terribly wrong, but who do justice proactively in each moment that God grants us. And may we be people who do justice and love righteousness. May we be people who choose life. stand together and we'll close with a song.
It's who you are.